Well, I have been doing several sermons here inspired by the work of a speaker and writer named Brennan Manning, uh, who did a lot to influence how I look at Christianity and uh, who I am just having a really good time getting back into his stuff and thinking about what he has to say for us as a community today. Two weeks ago, I preached about how much God loves us. And I tried to preach that in a way that was really radical and that was really um, more than just just saying the words. That God loves you and I just as we are, not as we should be, because we will never be as we should be. But that God loves us just the way we are, based on Himself, not on anything we do. And so you can live your life and never earn any more of God's love, never earn any less of God's love, because it's not really based on you. And this reality of God's love and God's grace just changes a lot about how we see the world. Last week I talked about how it dramatically changes how we need to see ourselves. That too often we think very highly of ourselves as if we do not need God, or we think so lowly of ourselves that it's offensive to God, that He would love us so much, and yet we would think God's love is similar to ours. God does not love us the way we love ourselves. God does not love us the way others love us. God loves us perfectly. And therefore, I think that should change how we view ourselves. We ought to not fall into a lot of self-hatred. Several people over the last couple weeks have told me that they thought I was preaching specifically to them. And I'm glad that I heard those words. Today, I think I'm preaching specifically to myself as I am really wrestling with the things I'm going to speak of today. Today, I want to talk about the response that God calls for from us. God loves us so much. God gives His Son for us. What does He call from us in return? Some would say nothing. God wants nothing from you and I, and we can just keep doing whatever we want, and that would be fine. Others have a big long list of all the things that God requires of us. That we need to become holy, clean up your act, stop swearing, get your life together. The list may be different for different people, but many of us end up thinking that God expects a list from us. But I think the Bible calls for a different response. A response that does not demand that we earn God's love, but also does not leave us in the same state that we were when God's love found us. I believe that the response that the Bible calls from each and every one of us is a response of trust. Passage today, I've got two passages for us. First, from Proverbs chapter 3. You've already heard part of this in our liturgy. My son... Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments. For a length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart, so you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. Here's the key part for us today. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight 
your paths. I wrestle often with this next text. From Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith, therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Brennan Manning calls trust in his book, Ruthless Trust, the second conversion. That we are all converted when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord, but there is another step, a step that many Christians don't ever seem to take when we are converted to a life of trust. While the first conversion saves us from a life from the land of sin and death, the second conversion saves us from the land of worry and self-debilitating self-pity. Think of how Proverbs describes this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, all your being, all your emotions, all of who you are. Every inch of you, trust God. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't hold back. Don't go 50% God and 50% you. Or 80% God and 20% you. Go 100% God. Don't lean in any way on your own understanding. Acknowledge God in all your ways. Everything you do, everywhere you go, every person you talk to. Don't let there be any part of your life that, where God is not acknowledged in some way. And He will straighten your path to where you need to go. Or think of these words from Matthew 6. Don't worry about your life. Not even the little details of where you will eat and what you will wear. If God takes care of the field flowers and the birds, he can take care of you. All your worry and anxiety add nothing to your life. In fact, we now know that worry and anxiety actually can be harmful to your body. God knows what you need. Seek his kingdom and let him take care of what you need. Don't worry about tomorrow. Just deal with today. This is a radical life of trust. Brennan Manning tells a story that I think shows this kind of dependence on God. Fourth century theologian and mystic John Toller prayed for eight years that God would send him a person that would teach him the true way of perfection. One day while at prayer, he heard a voice from within telling him to go outside to the steps of the church and there he would meet his mentor. He obeyed without hesitation. On the church steps, Toller found a barefoot ragamuffin in rags, wounded and caked in blood. 
Tyler greeted the man cordially. Good morning, dear brother. May God give you a good day and grant you a happy life. Sir, replied the ragamuffin, I do not remember ever having a bad day. Toller was stunned and asked him how this was possible, since sickness and grief are a part of the human condition. But the beggar explained, You wished me a good day, and I replied that I cannot recall having spent a bad day. You see whether my stomach is full or I am famished with hunger. I praise God continually. When I am rebuffed and despised, I still thank God. My trust in God's providence and His plan for my life is absolute, and there is no such thing as a bad day. He continued, Sir, you also wished me a happy life. I must insist that I am always happy, for it would be untruthful to state otherwise. My experience of God has taught me that whatever He does must be of necessity be of good. Thus, everything that I receive from His loving hand, and whatever He permits me to receive from the hands of others, be it prosperity or adversity, sweet or bitter, I accept with joy and see it as a sign of His favor. For many, many years now, my resolution each morning is to attach myself to nothing but the will of God alone. I have learned that the will of God is the love of God, and by the outpouring of His grace, I have so merged my will with His that whatever He wills, I will too. Therefore, I have always been happy. Do you understand the radical nature of such trust? Living every day, every moment, as if it is held in the very hand of God, through all the ups and downs, still trusting that God is present and working in your life. You abandon your own ambitions, self-pity, self-reliance, your sense of entitlement, your sense of worthlessness or worthiness, your sense of purpose and your sense of purposelessness, and just trust your life into the arms of God. My own view of trust has been profoundly influenced by my experience on ropes courses. I don't know if you know this, but part of what I have done in my past and continue to do a little bit on the side is work with groups. I do some of this for Geneva, in fact, where we go climbing. And so we set up the gear so that the kids, mainly kids, can climb up. And then we can also cross different cables. So you're clipped into this rope and somebody on the ground is holding you up. And so I have seen with many, many groups the struggle of trust. Trusting the gear, trusting the equipment that you've never seen before, trusting these people sometimes that you have never met, being willing to let go to be lowered down. It's always harder with new people to trust, isn't it? Trust takes time and experience. And I've also found that it's often harder for people who are not trustworthy themselves to trust others. Because they are not trustworthy. They don't know what to do when they have to rely on other people. I am convinced that ultimately the reaction that God wants from each and every one of us is that we would simply trust with childlike faith that we are loved and that we are His throughout all of our days. But I think one of the problems we have when it comes to trusting God is we have some misconceptions about it. Number one, I think we have a misconception that the opposite of trust is doubt. That if I really trust God, then there shouldn't be any doubt. But that's just simply not true. When there's no doubt, there's no need for trust because you've got surety. Trust involves a certain amount of doubt. 
In fact, when I, when I go climbing with people or when I'm working on these ropes courses with people and we've got all this safety gear, one of the most dangerous situations you can be in is when you have absolute trust and absolute security so that you're not worried about it. You're not careful and mistakes happen. In fact, on ropes courses, most of the injuries happen not to the participants, but to the facilitators, the people running it, who get so comfortable that they forget to check on themselves. Doubt is a part of trust. No, the real opposite of trust is worry. The real opposite of trust is impatient. It's, it's worry that leads to self-reliance, where we become a workaholic. Or it's worry that leads us to self-hatred, where we say we can never make it and we will never really try. That's the opposite of trust. There's always doubt. There is a sin in this world. There is sin in you and I. And we believe in an all-knowing, all-powerful, all-loving God that continues to allow things to happen that don't make sense to us. There will always be doubt. The real opposite of trust is worry. And that is where I think we need to try to eliminate. Misconception number two. We normally think that trust relates to the future. That I trust God that He's got my future in His hand. But biblically, that's not true. Trust is something that takes place in the present. Of course, you have to trust somewhat God for your future because you're not there yet and there's very little you can do about it. But the kind of trust that Jesus is talking about is today trust. Trust about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go. That's the real area of trust. I can say that I trust God in the future, but I'm not, if I'm doing all the work I can today to control my future, I'm not really trusting God at all. True trust happens. The trick is when we trust Jesus day by day. Can you go a day without worry? Have you ever gone a day where you didn't acknowledge God? Like me, have you looked back on a day and thought, man, I... I did not acknowledge God even once today. In fact, I don't remember the last time this week that I did acknowledge God. It's so easy for us to say we trust God and then day by day live just by ourselves as if God is not really there. We say we are a Christian, but we're functionally living as an atheist. True trust happens in the present. I have really been feeling this uh, the last couple weeks. Two things I worry about more than anything else, and I don't know if you can identify with this or not, are finances and vehicles. I worry about finances and I worry about cars. And they're normally related. Did you ever notice that? Like if you have a car problem, you typically have a finance problem also. They kind of go together. A couple weeks ago, I was in a little fender bender. That It wasn't bad. We were okay. But it ended up totaling my car because it wasn't worth as much as the damages were. And so I spent the last couple of weeks just kind of worried about it, waiting for the insurance to come through, looking for vehicles. Man, the daily waiting, that's where the trust really comes in. Not doing it yourself, knowing that you can't do anything, but waiting day by day. And I was blessed to be reading Brennan Manning through this period as I really just had to keep reminding myself, no, God's got me. I don't have to worry about this. It'll work out. By the way, my, my wife is driving home right now in a really nice van that God really worked out for us to get. 
Um, and so God really had us. He had us that whole time. And, and you know what? All the worrying that I did didn't help at all. And all the online searches and stopping at car dealerships, worthless, waste of time, waste of energy. I was trying to learn how to trust day by day. Not just in the future, but how do I trust today so I don't worry and be anxious anymore? Misconception number three. We assume we want it to be that God will make everything all right if we trust Him. But the reality is that God doesn't always do things the way we want Him to. He doesn't always do things when we want Him to. If you say you're trusting God and really what you want God to do is what you want Him to do, that's, that's not really trust. That's an attempt to control God. God is not a vending machine. God will not just give you what you want if you put a little bit of trust in there. No. Real trust is saying, God, whatever comes, whatever comes, you got me. Whatever comes, true trust acknowledges that God does not do things the way I want or maybe even let me go through pain for the purposes I will never know and understand. But trust happens in the middle of the storm, not in the avoidance of the storm. And so I think we need to just change our expectation. Misconception number four. We think that if trust, if we trust God, that he will totally change us, remove all of our doubt, remove all of our shortcomings. If we just trust God, we're going to get it all together. The reality is that God saves us as we are. And has us where we are for a reason. Yes, God does change us, but often God's change of us is incremental. It's small. And much to our surprise, God's changes in us are often just us really discovering who we've always been. Like God pruning away stuff that doesn't give glory to Him to show us who we really have been since our childhood is exactly where God wants us to be. Or as Brennan Manning used to quote an African-American preacher in the Deep South who gave these words to the, of wisdom to a pilgrim. Be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. Let me say that again. Be who you is, because if you ain't who you is, then you is who you ain't. One of the hardest areas to trust God is to trust God that I am who I am because God has put me there. And I may have made mistakes, but they are my mistakes. And God is working even in those flaws to make me into the person that He wants me to be. Do you trust that God not only loves you as you are, but likes you and is crazy about you? Misconception number five. The mark of a trusting person is boldness. This is what we buy into all the time. If I really trust God, I'm going to be bold. I don't think so. I think the real mark of a trusting person is gratitude. As Manning would say, if I would videotape each of the ten lives if I was trying to find a trusting person for a month. And after watching the videos, pass judgment using this criteria. The person with an abiding spirit of gratitude is the one who trusts God. Gratitude is what allows us in good and bad circumstances to thank God and acknowledge Him. Boldness may come and go, but the trusting in Jesus Christ really comes in gratitude. Do you remember the story of Luke 17 where Jesus heals ten lepers and only one comes back to thank Him? 
That is the way of gratitude. And it may only be one in ten that really finds that kind of gratitude. But that one who has that gratitude, that is the one who trusts. Who moves past any kind of self-pity or entitlement as if God should heal me or I deserve to be healed. And decides just to be thankful for the blessings that God does give me. Because deep down I know I don't even deserve those. Final misconception. We believe that the process of trusting God should happen naturally. But it doesn't. Trusting God is hard work. As Henry Nouwen said, one of the most arduous spiritual tasks is that of giving up control and allowing the Spirit of God to lead us. It's hard work to give up control because we naturally want it. Some of us want it a lot. We're control freaks. But generally, we at least want to control ourselves, if not other people. To trust God daily, you have to build in some disciplines. Prayer is a good one. Not just asking God for things, but really praying that gratitude. Daily devotions. Sometimes life forces us to trust. Like like we can't do anything else but trust God. But most often, life gives us a little bit of wiggle room where we can still trust ourselves. And we've got to do the work of keeping, throwing our worries and throwing our cares upon Christ. Brendan Manning told the story that uh, a man named Dennis Rainey would tell of a missionary family who was home on furlough. They had borrowed someone's lake house, and it was a husband and a wife and two kids, a 12-year-old and a 4-year-old. And like sometimes happens, the 4-year-old sort of escaped vision, like they were being watched by everyone, so fundamentally they were being carefully watched by no one. And they ended up going down to the lake Interested in the dock and the boat that was there, they wandered out on the boat. And the little child, four-year-old child, fell into about eight foot of water. Hearing the splash and the commotion, the father came running and dove in the water. Couldn't find the child, so he came up, couldn't hold his breath any longer. Took a nice deep breath and went back down again and finally found his son. Just clinging to the pole holding up the dock. Just, Just way at the bottom, clinging. And so he he grabbed his son, pried his arms off, and brought him up and and started to resuscitate him to bring him back. And when the son had finally, when the little boy had finally kind of got things together, the dad said, son, what were you doing just holding the pole at the bottom of the lake? And the boy said, dad, I was just waiting for you. I was just waiting for you, dad. How many of us, when we get into struggles in our lives, try to save ourselves? to change ourselves, or to work our way through the difficulty. The second conversion of a Christian, what God really wants from each and every one of us, is simple, childlike trust. Cling to the cross and saying, I'm just waiting for you, Dad. I'm just waiting for you. Brendan Manning calls this ruthless trust. Ruthless in that it persists through all kinds of things. But also, Webster's Dictionary defines ruthless as without pity or without self-pity. True trust of God is what happens when we have no more self-pity, no more expectations of what we have or what we should have, no more entitlement to bad behavior, bad habits, or special treatment, but where we just simply cling to the cross through whatever we're going through and say, I'm just waiting for you, Dad. Just waiting for you. Let's pray. 
Father, some of us are going through some things that are overwhelming us. Some of us are going through things that feel like a lot deeper than eight foot of water. Help us to trust. Help us to yield those areas of our lives that we cling to and won't let you have. Help us to lean on you. Let us know that we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.